The Headsman's Concubine by Samuel Z. Jones Episode 1 Ava had lived her entire life in fear. Her mother had been a Sylvan soldier, killed in the wars, and so little Ava had learned early what death was, and to fear it. She had learned to fear her grandmother, too. The ancient Sylvan diva had taught little Ava what a warrior was supposed to be, what her mother had been, and inadvertently taught Ava to fear the life she had been born to. All Sylvan women were warriors. But from the moment the news came that her mother was dead, Ava had forgotten any desire to follow in the family tradition. It was not merely her mother's death, but the terrible look that came into her grandmother's eyes when she heard the news. The old woman had seen for a moment, as she must have done in her youth, upon the battlefield, sword in hand, and death in her heart. At the age of five, Ava had known that much as she did not want to die, she feared far more to become as her grandmother, bleak and terrifying. Harrowed so that she resembled in spirit the ancient sword she wore it until her dying day. When the wars ended, Ava was seventeen, but there was no longer any Sylvan army. They had lost, their nation conquered. All Sylvan warriors commanded to surrender their swords. When the news arrived, Ava's grandmother killed herself. Without a word, she walked away into the woods. Ava had followed and arrived, just as the old diva fell on her own sword. Ava had pried the blade from her grandmother's dead hand, dressed in her mother's old uniform, and gone performed the one act of courage in her life. She had gone to great surrender, and laid down the family blade. From that moment, she and every other to attend the surrender had been slaves, and Ava had been taught fear rigorously, until it was a defining fact for her existence. She had lived thus in fear, until she had been given a concubine to an imperial general. He had been a strange man, wild, brought from the remotest Kilia, to serve the Empress of Sylvanir. But he had been kind to Ava, abhorring slavery and offering to set her free. In her fear, she had refused, remaining as his slave until she learned to love him, fearing his departures to fight in the new wars at the Empress's command. Eventually, his hatred of slavery turned him rebel and Ava learned new fears of hardship and danger, long journeys and bitter fights. In the end, it had been too much. When her lover was wounded, she could not see the great hero that others called him. All she saw was death, waiting at his bedside. And she had not waited to see her fears fruition, but fled. And still, she had been afraid, terrified, even every waking moment, and haunted by nightmares, until she settled at last in a remote village. There she met a man who was, in her eyes, both as strong and as kind as her lost general. No warrior, but a farming man, and for a time she had been happy. The news came to the village that stirred again, the lifelong terror. The wars were over at last, and her general, her master, the great warrior, Sir Corel Tate, the headsman of Vale, still lived. She knew at once, even before word of it arrived weeks later, that he would come. 
Her husband Arlen knew of, but didn't understand her fears. He was a working man who had seen nothing of wars, to whom the way of the sword was meaningless compared to the love of earth and her bounty. So he had tried to calm and comfort Ava's fear, to teach her solid faith in unchanging cycles of a farmer's life. But when the news came that the great knight Corral Tate would soon visit her town, Ava's fears overcame her. While the townsfolk were still abuzz with the news, he cited that the heroes of the war they had escaped would soon visit them. Ava slipped away. Arlen found her hiding in a cubbyhole under the floor in the barn. No one else would have found her there, a natural void in the foundation of the building, concealed by a trap door in the floor that she had insisted he install while the barn was still under construction. It had seemed a bizarre and paranoid request, but Arlen had complied for the love of his wife, never expecting her to actually use it. She did not at first respond to Arlen's knock on the hidden trap door, but he heard through the wood a muffled gasp and shudder. The door locked from the inside. He had to wait, talking softly through the panel, until Ava was calm enough to withdraw the bolt and peek outside. Come out, Arlen said, still in the same gentle tone. He won't be here for weeks, and even then, you won't have to hide there. He doesn't know you're here at all. You don't know that. Well, neither do you. How could he know you're here? He'll know, Ava sniffed. Maybe he doesn't yet, but he will. He'll be ten miles away, twenty, horizons off, and suddenly he'll know. It's just another town, Arlen said. Home to us, but just a place to him. Nowhere special. He'll know, Ava insisted. I knew, as soon as I knew he was alive, I knew he'd come here. It's just fear of love, Arlen said. Like fear of a spider or the dark, just an old fear. I'm not a child, Ava snapped, still cowering in her cubbyhole. And what will happen if he knows? Ava stared at him blankly, baffled that he could not see the awful doom approaching. He's the headsman of Vail, she managed at last. So, who is he to me? The man who married his concubine? And? Arlen, like most men, was far from comfortable discussing his wife's past. That this soldier, this knight, had once called Ava his property, filled her husband with a cold rage alien to his nature. Do you think I'd let him take you? You couldn't stop him. Arlen stood up and walked away. Ava called after him, then scrambled out of her hole and ran to catch up. Fear of losing him far outweighing in the moment her terror of the approaching night still many days away. Arlen stopped when he heard her following, but did not turn to look at her. I don't know why you fear him. He never hurt me, she said. But I couldn't fight him, and he'd kill you if you tried. Arlen's eyes had turned towards the village, a cluster of houses surrounding surrounded by scattered farmsteads, numbering their own little plot of land among the wilder fields. As she could read his mind, Ava added, he'd kill everyone in the village. The rumor is he rides alone. Yes, Ava nodded. He'll come alone. He's always alone, even when... 
she trailed off, remembering the long nights besides Corel Tate, who rarely spoke and whose eyes always looked far away. You don't know him. Hearing her began to cry, Arlen turned and took her in his arms. It's all right. Just wait. You need not even see him when he comes. You can hide if you must, but he's not here. I am. The news came thick and fast. Then to that little town which heard so little of the outside world, Corel Tate was coming. The headsman of Vale was near. The great knight, the rebel hero, master swordsman, giant, dragon slayer. And soon one rumor monger recalled that Ava had on occasion mentioned that she had once known a man whose fame redoubled with every repetition of his tales. She refused at first to be drawn, hiding herself indoors, but her silence only added mystery that drew the rumor monger's attention onto her. What had Ava's relationship to the warrior been? His lover or his slave? Had she fled from him? As from an ogre? What had he done when she was in his power? She was already an outsider, a foreign woman in a small town, where every other inhabitant could trace their family back to the same soil for generations. Now they looked at her with new eyes. The men appraisingly, the women with jealousy, wondering what life had known as a concubine of so terrible a night. At last, when she could bear it no longer, and Arlen prevailed upon her to still the gossip with honest truth, Ava emerged and went with her husband to the tavern, where the rumor mill held court. There, with her husband, silent at her side, and the shadow of Corel's hate looming larger with every passing hour, she answered their questions. They had already guessed the truth of her relationship to the great knight, and her confirmation here granted credence to the rest of her tale in the villagers' ears. She did not need to express her fear. The villagers were already whispering of what would happen when Corel Tate learned that his concubine was in their midst. Voyeurism contended with the villagers' pride. It would be good theater to see the foreign woman dragged off by her hair in the wake of the feared hero, but in another sense, Ava was one of their own. They had accepted her, and the villagers looked after their neighbors, even as they gossiped cruelly. The jealousies and dramas of village life were sustained on boredom, and the knowledge that nothing would ever change. Once of the village, always of the village. How tall is he? The first question addressing Corel Tate himself. A giant? Seven feet, Ava confirmed. And his sword? As tall as I am. An image of a sword over five feet in length appeared to the listener's mind as if they saw it with their own eyes, and a man like a mountain to wield it. He must be strong, someone said. Like a blacksmith, Ava replied. For this was the highest standard of human strength within the villagers' experience. And is it true that... Yes, Ava said, not even needing to hear the question. He killed a dragon. I was there. And at the battle? Of New Adathan? Yes, he held the breach against the living dead. 
I tell you, the man is utterly without fear. Arlen had heard enough. He's not coming for Ava. He's on his way to Vale. He doesn't even know she's here. But he will, one of the village wags said. And the claim was confirmed when Ava quailed. But she had lived with fear all her life, and considered it her own. Her only courage lay in that she would not pass her fear to others. I don't want anyone to interfere. I know some of you would defend me. And here she looked up at her husband. But I don't want that. I'll avoid him. I'll go away while he's here. I don't want to see him at all. But if he sees me, then I don't want anyone hurt by trying to stop him. This had the opposite of the desired effect. There were grumblings from men and women alike, the villagers' minds now turning to mobs and pitchforks. Ava, looking around the room, suddenly saw them all attempting to rush Corral Tate, the headsman, standing like a monolith against the tides of foes. And she had seen him in battle so many times before, a giant wading through blood and murder, his face utterly calm, fighting in silence while others around him roared and screamed, his sword a flicker of gory silver dancing in his hands. A second glance at her neighbors told her she could never explain. They both did and did not believe the stories. As a novelty, a visitor, they believed the legend of the Invincible Knight as a foe. They were too proud and knew too little to imagine that any could threaten them. The village had known peace for untold decades one of the few places untouched by the wars, that had swallowed up whole generations. Filled with the certainty of her fears, knowing that nothing she said or did would make any impact upon fate, Ava began to cry. Arlen took her home, regretting that they had ever gone to face their neighbors with the truth, and disquieted by the growing knowledge that there was something in his wife that he did not, and perhaps never would, understand. The long-anticipated, and by Ava long-dreaded day arrived, Corral Tate came to the village. Children out minding the sheep saw him first and came running into the town with the news. The whole populace was out to watch by the time the great knight on his great horse appeared, riding wearily down the road. The horse was midnight black, bigger even than a cart horse. No smaller beast could have carried the giant armored figure that rode upon its back. He was huge, seven feet tall. If he were an inch, chest and shoulders four feet wide, arms as thick as most men's legs, on his back, in a great black scabbard, he wore a sword taller than a woman, four feet of steel and two of hilt. His armor was black, chased and inscribed with silver. Bright runes crawled over every inch of his polished steel. He rode, bareheaded, and carried no pack other than weapons besides his sword. His face was unsmiling, stern as if hewn in granite. Hawk-nose, lantern-jawed, pale-skinned, save for a livid red scar that ran from his cheek to his hairline, where the mane of his jet-black hair was marred by a slash of pure white. Samuel Z. Jones is a prolific fantasy author. Exponent of the bizarre notion that write what you know applies to fantasy. 
makes hobbies of horseback riding and camping. Student of mythology, martial arts, amateur ranter, allegedly funny, occasionally insightful, whimsical chap, and paragon of modesty. To check out more about this author, please visit our website, lcowenbooks.com, and we'll provide you links to all of his social media and web pages. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our channel. For more information on sci-fi fantasy authors, short stories, and novels, please visit our website, lcowenbooks.com. LC Owen Books, where thoughts become worlds.